And we are recording in progress. Recording with Mr. James Catulus on Tuesday, March 14th, 2023 at 2 8 p.m. Eastern Time. And as always, guys, if you want to support the podcast, click on the little red button for locals above. Uh, James has been on here several times before. Um, I think the first time you came on, we discussed you taking down a. Uh, the CEO of Goldman Sachs, John Corzine, and uh, Obama's Attorney General, uh, Eric Holder, in 2011 for the eighth largest bankruptcy in U.S. history. You did it pro bono. I think you got the largest amount of funds. Neither of them are in jail, though, so I didn't I, actually take I mean, them down. But... Well, I mean, the fact that you won and didn't end up, you know, face down in a shallow grave to me is winning. And um, I put the link. To, yeah, I'll put I put the link to that article in the description if you guys want to check out James as well as his Twitter and Instagram. And you created Let's Go Brandon Coin, but you are my uh, financial expert by virtue of the fact that I know next to nothing. So if there isn't if there's something I haven't added about your uh, your background, please add that and then explain to me and my audience to the best of your abilities what exactly is going on. Sure. Yeah. Just uh, the the day job is I run Typhon Capital Management. We're a multi-strat hedge fund. We trade primarily uh, listed derivatives like futures and options, as well as crypto. Um, but we're we're obviously tied into the entire global macro space, of which uh, SVB is a big catalyst uh, this week. So, why is this bank collapsing, and why is this? distinct or important than any other bank going under why is it making waves is it just news well they're not alone right so there, there's a couple things so i think the, the first to look at um how the banking system works so after the 2008 collapse um one of the things that the government did was designate uh, uh systematically important financial institutions so like the big four banks you know, are basically legally too big to fail. Like if they have a problem, we're just going to print more money and prop them up. Okay. Now, outside of those, uh, you know, we do have a Federal Reserve to facilitate short-term loans to banks, but inherently every bank is insolvent. Okay. Always like by definition. Okay. So the way banking works is on this concept called fractional reserve lending, where is if, you know, someone puts in a dollar deposits, okay, the bank has a liability for a dollar, but a bank could go out there and make loans far in excess of um, what their deposits are. And this number, this um, threshold is essentially defined by banking regulators. It's called the reserve requirement. Um, I want to say right now it's something like 5%, but I could be wrong because I'm not actually a banker. Um, and this is the last minute, so I haven't checked, but let's assume it's 5%, right? If you are, if you have a 5% reserve requirement, then a bank can lend out um, $20 for every $1 in deposits it has. And then it relies on not having all of its depositors ask for their money at the same time. So any bank, if all of your depositors or even a, a decently large, but not even 50% of your depositors ask for their money at the same time, the bank fails by definition, right? Like that's why the Fed was created um, after the, the the Great Depression was to create uh, or to prevent um, banks, um, you know, from failing. And one second, let me just turn on do not disturb because I'm getting a slew of You're good. Uh, notifications. Uh, 
Yeah, I know that they I know that they set it up in 1913 as sort of a to create the US dollar to be like a uniform bubble so instead of individual banks having their individual notes, you know, you know, a run on the bank or a panic or a depression or whatever the terms have been over the decades, the idea was to sort of spread it all around so no one bank could take down the whole system. Yeah, so so and actually you're right. I believe the Fed was created before the depression, the FDIC. Yeah. Um, you know, was created to to discourage bank runs and that um, basically the way the FDIC works is that you have member banks, they have to pay fees into an insurance fund that then steps up and guarantees deposits. Now, the way the FDIC works is that um, each depositor per bank gets $250,000 worth of insurance. Now, one of the really unique things about Silicon Valley Bank was that 93% of deposits had more or depositors had more than two hundred fifty thousand um, dollars in deposits at the bank, right? So they're thus uninsured under the vanilla language um, of the FDIC. Now, one of the governmental responses to SVB has been to say, okay, we're going to guarantee deposits even above that, right? And we're going to wipe out shareholders and bondholders, which is good. You're creating moral hazard for the people who supported this bank that did not have good risk controls and good risk management. They actually had a nine month period uh, where they had no chief risk officer. You know, they just got a new one in like January, right? Um, so there's several governance problems at SVB. Um, but for the financial system, it, bank runs are bad, right? Because once you have one bank run, it triggers other bank runs, and you know we've seen. You know, Signature gone gone down, we've seen Silvergate gone, go down. We saw all the regional bank stocks get absolutely hammered yesterday because, you know, no one wants to be the last, you know, money in a bank. Um, and again, by definition, all banks will fail if there is a bank run. Um, now, some contributing factors here. So, um, one, the, you know, basically a 13-year period um, starting in 2008, where short-term interest rates were essentially zero, right? So you got banks could go and lend money back to the Fed, get a little bit of you know overnight interest, generally between 25 and 50 basis points. Um, you know, so not a lot. Okay, um, you all of the inflation coming out of this prolonged period of low interest rates, coupled with the monetary policy response, where you know, we were raining stimulus, uh, you know, checks, you know, down on people who are then like speculating in crypto and, you know, trading options on Robinhood and, you know, all of this was very, very inflationary. Um, you know, so as a response, the Fed has come out and raised short-term interest rates incredibly quickly. Now, one of the big failures of, you know, a lot of these, um, you know, regional banks has been what's called duration mismatch, Okay. So what does that mean? So, you know, the the, the general treasury complex um, of, you know, government debt has everything from, you know, overnight loans, which are which the rates for are dictated by the federal uh, funds rate, um, all the way up to 30 year treasuries. OK, in a, in a healthy economy, you can have a yield curve where you get more interest for the longer that you lock up the capital. Now, what happened is, you know, a lot of these banks got complacent, you know, you had 13 years of, you know, zero or close to zero interest rates of a front end 
of that yield curve. So where they're like, oh, well, we're just going to lock up, you know, these bonds at a, a longer duration. Now, if you have all these, you know, all these assets in these long dated bonds, and then people come and ask for the money, um, you can't just liquidate these for one to one on an immediate basis. Like they're not cash equivalent. Like if you're buying thirty year bonds, and then oh, um, <clears throat> you know, short term rates um, yields go up. You know, the prices on these long dated bonds drop, right? So you're actually taking like mark to market losses, and are you know then forced uh, you know to liquidate this long dated paper to meet your short term depositor calls. Um, so. Basically, you know, a lot of these banks took a lot of risk, um, this duration risk by locking up long-term assets. And then when people started to come for the money, they didn't have the assets to pay them. Now, why did this happen, right? Um, so one, Silicon Valley Bank is unique in that it would um, kind of have this, this circle relationship uh, <laughs> uh, with, uh, venture capital companies where um, post 08, you've had a ton of money fly into long lockup alternative investment strategies, things like venture capital, private equity, um, where an investor will commit money for 10 to 15 years into these funds. You know, that money then goes into generally a designated tranche in uh, the capital structure of businesses. Um, so you'll have dedicated venture funds that are, you know, seed stage or series A, series B, series C, you know, private equity that comes into later stage businesses. And then within those, you'll generally have specialists who they'll focus on seed or they'll focus on A or they'll focus to B. So you have this whole ecosystem sprung up where VC, uh, you know, seed stage funds would come in, they'd give companies their first dollar. Okay. But then they'd flip those investments or get you know additional capital and higher valuation that allows the VC funds to mark up uh, their valuations after the Series A comes in. Okay, Series B, you know they're doing their deals at successively higher rounds generally. Um, you know Series B. Now you have all the private capital flowing into these private funds. Well, they're getting these big you know, mark to market valuations on this illiquid, you know, founder companies, you know, founder stock, Series A stock, whatever, then those VC funds and the VC funded companies go to Silicon Valley Bank, who would then say, okay, well, we're going to lend against the stock now, right? So they're going to lend and then, you know, the VCs, um, you know, get loans on the stocks and officers, the company themselves, a lot of times would then just like redeposit this into Silicon Valley Bank or, you know, similar, you know, regional banks. Now, what happened last week is you had some VC chats and, you know, the VC communities tend to be very, you know, close knit and very like herd minded because they, again, they build up this whole ecosystem where, you know, it's akin to like greater fool theory where the, the C is selling to the A, is selling to the B, is selling to the C, and everybody's kind of making money along the way. Uh, but they're like, well, you know, this, all these rate hikes, they've, you know, kind of weaken the balance sheets on these banks, you should all take your money out, right? And so, you know, you had in one day, 25% of the assets come out of Silicon Valley Bank. Like, that's insane. Like, utter insanity. Like, imagine going to Chase and having 25% of Chase assets that come out in a day. It's just, like, unprecedented. Well, then why, why is this different? Like, why, why now? 
well, now, you know, people aren't, you know, are on all these chat rooms, right? And, you know, you've had a lot of stress to the system. Okay, like, so the Fed and their fight against inflation, um, you know, they've raised rates really quickly. So if these banks got greedy, they didn't have proper, you know, risk management where they, you know, kept sufficient, um, you know, reserves in, in short paper, um, you know, a bank run is going to be really damaging. And it's, you know, it's like same fire in a crowded theater. Like everybody's like running for the exit, right? Now, Silicon Valley Bank, um, you know, there appears to be like some other potential major governance failures, right? Like I mentioned, they have like nine months without a chief risk officer. Um, you know, this is a bank that was very big on like diversity and inclusion and like kind of the, you know, the woke factors, right? And like we've seen time and time again, when people prioritize, um, you know, woke met metrics over profitability and saying, okay, well, we're going to give, um, you know, money, we're going to lend money to this company because they got a lot of women on the board and a lot of gays and stuff like that. Well, maybe that's not necessarily the best metric for determining, you know, profitability and good bank risk management, right? And, you know, you also, there's, you know, a lot of apparent political ties here. Like, I believe a first chair man of the bank was like Al Gore's wife, right? Like they're close in with like California governor, uh, Gavin Newsom. Um, you have several of these executives appear to have dumped like hundreds of millions of dollars of, of stock, you know, in the last you know couple of weeks. Like, you know, was it insider trading? Like, I don't know. But, you know, after this bank collapsed, right after all these insider sales, you know, does it warrant, you know, investigation? Like, probably. But will it actually fail if the current administration is very heavy on ESG and uh, uh, DEI hires? In a sense, it doesn't seem like it's going to face the natural ebbs and flows and natural selective uh, tendencies of a free market if the very kind of big dog on campus, the White House, and thus, you know, the Fed and Department of the Treasury, if they're for this, are they going to let it fail? Well, so they have sort of have let it fail to extent that it appears that like shareholders and bondholders are getting wiped out. Okay, so they're going to bear losses. Okay, um, it does not look like the companies that had money there are going to like lose their deposits, right, which is, you know, it, it's, it's generally a bad thing for an economy. Um, and look, I'm all about moral hazard, right? But when if you say like, you know, thousands of businesses can't make payroll, um, you know, that tends to have a lot of second order effects. And, you know, what really caused 2008 is, you know, those you know, rolling bank failures. Um, you know, is it just like black and white there that it's like, okay, wipe out depositors, wipe out bondholders, you know, always, you know, insure deposits 100%? You know, no, because, you know, you've got to ask some questions about, um, you know, this new facility that's been put in place, right? Like the administration's trying to say, like, taxpayers aren't going to pay this. You know, member banks are ostensibly going to pay it. Um, you know, we'll see if it actually shakes out that way. But they've put into um, operation this lending facility that is going to let other banks go. And if, you know, they do have these, like, 10-year pieces of paper, right, that they can't liquidate, you know, immediately, they're going to essentially let the, them you know, treat that as cash. And that does create a lot of moral hazard, right? That's basically saying, okay, well, you know, you could go out um, on the term structure, lock up, 
depositors' assets, you know, a long time for yield. And then, oh, well, if, if, you know, interest rate risk rises and you don't hedge, right, there's ways to hedge it. Like we trade futures. Like there's, you know, multi-trillion dollar derivative market that you go out and, you know, and pay, you know, to hedge to like reduce that risk, right? You're saying, well, why hedge? Because your head, you have the, 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 the ultimate government foot because the government is going to be your hedge and they're going to like bail you out if something goes wrong. So is this a closed-minded view or a simpleton view that this is just a never-ending game of kicking the can down the road the next couple of years or decades, just hand it off to another administration, bubble this, collapse that, pandemic this, you know, war preparations that? Is, it, is this just a game of you just kick it down the road forever? Well, so kicking, kicking the can has been a thing for a long time, right? Yeah. I mean, like the savings and loan scandal, which was kind of be before my time in the 80s, yeah. that was really like the first, you know, kind of government bailout. And you had, you know, like in 08, some of these bailouts were absurd, right? Like the early bank bailouts were actually similar to this one and that they wiped out, um, you know, bondholders and stockholders, like basically like Washington Mutual, Bear Stearns, like basically they you know, wiped out or close to wiped out the um, stock of bondholders, but guaranteed depositors. Um, to me, that's pretty decent, right? Because the people who are making, you know, these decisions to, to manage the bank in a risky fa fashion, they do have consequences. Um, politically, I think, you know, even with the ESG bent, it, you do get a lot of political capital by saying, we're going to go after these executives who sold stock ahead of the collapse, you know, for insider trading. Um, so I do think there's a reasonable chance that gets done, even though they do appear to be very politically connected to the current administration. Um, in terms of can it go on forever? I mean, <laughs> you know, to me, if you want to look at this a little more sinister, it's like Coinbase, for example, has changed, you know, has had three different depository banks in the last week, right? So, um, <laughs> To me, it reeks somewhat of an attack on crypto. And you've definitely seen a massive, um, you know, regulation by enforcement um, strategy, you know, by the SEC, who are really going after a lot of, you know, people in crypto, even like legitimate products, even products that are clearly not securities. And they are, you know, really trying to curb um americans being in crypto so you know if you really want to get conspiratorial like everybody's talking about like the great reset right like well when you do kick the can forever like when is enough enough right like things eventually break um you know so if, if you look at look at from my perspective the most likely conspiracy conspiracy theory is that eventually if you do have enough you know bank failures where you've got to do another wave of government stimulus like what happened you know in covid right you say well you know we're going to give you government stimulus but it's going to be a central bank yeah. issued digital currency or a cbdc which to me like that's what the left really wants like that's when you have in china you know social credit where if you criticize the government total we're control. taking your money total okay control. And, you know, to me, this is a potential like domino towards the government. The government absolutely wants a central bank digital currency. I mean, Treasury reached out to me in 2017, okay, to talk about central bank digital currencies and stable coins. And look, I've been in that space for a while. 
am I the world's number one guy on stable coins or central bank digital currency? No. Yes. Right. So, I mean, they've been looking at this bare minimum six years, which means it's probably like, you know, eight years, 10 years plus, right? Because, um, <clears throat> you know, my buddy Madison Cawthorn says, you know, as a quote, he says all the time, um, you know, government's got a monopoly on two things, you know, violence and money, right? Like with the military, right? So they don't want people making their own money, you know, through crypto, and they don't want people owning guns, right? Like that's how, you know, you get total control of the civil is You take away guns and you do something like a central bank currency, uh, which is way more powerful from an authoritarianism standpoint than like just printing dollars, right? Oh, yeah. It's one thing to say you can't counterfeit a dollar, but anybody who has a dollar, like you could spend that dollar, yeah. right? Central bank digital currency, they could, you know, Congress could just say, oh, we're raising taxes to confiscate money. Yeah. They're saying like, I mean, PayPal, right, changed their terms and conditions to say, if you post something that we consider misinformation, we're going to not take 2,500 bucks just from your PayPal account. We're going to do an ACH debit from your bank account and take 25. So you've got private companies, you know, have written, someone wrote those terms and services. They said it was a mistake that it was released, right? Someone wrote it. Okay, and even if it got turned on as a mistake, this is where like the left's head is at, right? And they want to move towards the social credit thing where they could just seize money that goes uh, um, anybody you know criticizes the government. So it's a massive, massive threat to, to, to free speech. So you know, as we stand now, like Silicon Valley Bank, there's a lot that's like defensible there you know and like how it's been been handled like the governmental response to like you know stem panic but i would not be surprised if at some point we see broader bank failures and that central bank digital currency come out of stimulus and i don't i've got to actually jump on a call in like a minute here yeah, um, do yeah. you have anything we want to like wrap up with or? no 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 no. we can we can wrap it i was going to say yeah no uh cbdc's would be the ultimate coup right because i mean even just censoring Twitter or something, you could still make alternative accounts or, but if you control, I mean, the very, to put it in like biological terms, if you control the flow of ATP, like the currency of energy, that is, that is currency, that's total lockdown. And that does, I don't think we can totally write off the idea that, I mean, if this is, if it's so, if, uh, if SVB is so incestuous with the current administration, to me, that kind of gives more credence to the idea of, what if this is engineered? What if this is beginning a collapse so that you have to roll in daddy government? Well, this would be kind of step two, right? You had like FTX, like yeah, collapse, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is like super in bed with Gary Gensler and the CFTC, yeah. right? Then you have all these attacks on crypto, um, you know, all this like regulation by enforcement to try to like chill that market. Notice, by the way, Bitcoin has been ripping since all this happened, right? So it's actually showing that people don't trust banks and they trust Bitcoin more than they trust you know, the banks, but then you have, uh, you know, SVB. So, I mean, you do, you know, there. It, I don't think it's that conspiratorial to like kind of draw a line in all of these events and um, knowing that the ultimate goal of like the World Economic Forum and the globalists is to get people on a, on a central bank digital currency where they can implement social credit. Yeah. And uh, yeah, monopoly on violence and money. And, you know, the U they always say like the U.S. dollar is not backed by anything. It's not backed by gold anymore. It's absolutely backed by the largest. It's backed by the U.S. military. It's backed by something much stronger than gold, and it's the largest, most sprawled out, global encompassing military in the history of the planet. That's that's stronger than a shiny metal.
and hopefully it stays strong at least but you know i'd rather have the u.s military than chinese military but uh yeah you know i, I don't like the trend there but no. but i gotta hop yeah you're the man thank you for having me on and uh, i will talk to you soon absolutely dude thank you so much for doing it on short notice guys go in the description read the yeah, article about him follow the social media james thank you so much man. recording Take stopped care, everybody peace